Welcome to IBBA Insights, providing expert advice on buying or selling small businesses. IBBA Insights is presented by the International Business Brokers Association, the world's largest nonprofit organization for those helping others sell or buy businesses. Now, here's your host, Press Diglio. Hello, I'd like to welcome you to today's episode of IBBA Insights. I'm your host, Cress Diglio, and we have a very timely show in store for you today. In dealing with business owners or as business owners, we deal with this all the time, and these questions come up, and questions arise pertaining to employee retention, and not just employee retention, but employee recruitment. You know, How do I get great employees, and how do I keep great employees? And if, if that's something you're struggling with, then this is an episode you want to listen to because we have a guru um, talking with us today as our guest. He is world-renowned and speaks on uh, topics such as accountability. And he'll talk about things such as accountability and corporate culture and things of that nature and what that means to not only recruiting and obtaining the very best employees, but then retaining those same great employees. Today's guest is Sam Silverstein. Sam is an accountability and leadership keynote speaker. His mission is to empower people to live accountable lives, transform the way they do business, and thrive at extraordinary levels. Sam helps companies dramatically increase productivity, profitability, and growth. Sam has been inducted into the CPAE Speakers Hall of Fame, He's a past president of the National Speakers Association, and Global Gurus has named Sam Silverstein as one of the world's top organizational culture professionals. Sam's also the founder of the Accountability Institute, and he's a best-selling author who's written over 12 books, including The Accountability Advantage, I Am Accountable, Non-Negotiable, No More Excuses, and many more. Sam has successfully sold one of his businesses to a Fortune 500 company, and today Sam writes, speaks, and consults with organizations around the globe to think differently, work with renewed purpose, and achieve record-breaking results. Sam, welcome to IBBA Insights. Hey, Chris. It's great to be here. Uh, It's great to have you. I I must confess, I've, I've read your books. I've watched a lot of your videos. I'm a big fan and believer of the things you talk about, so... The audience, I believe, is certainly in for a treat today. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. And I am totally honored to be here and looking forward to our conversation. I'm going to jump right into it, but I'd like to know, how did it all start? What prompted you to start down this path of ultimately becoming the guru of accountability, writing 12 books and helping companies around the world? Where did it all start? Wow. Um, Yeah, I, I graduated got an MBA, went to work with my parents, was in business there, um, didn't enjoy the industry, bought into my father-in-law's business, helped build up that manufacturing company, sold it. Um, Along the way, a lot of people started thanking me for the advice I'd given them. And to be totally honest with you, half the time, I didn't remember the conversation in the first place. And I thought, wow, if I can have a positive impact without trying, what would happen if I tried? And that was the impetus to write my first book. But I have to admit, I was 13 years into reading, writing and speaking before I realized that, that accountability w- was the foundational key to everything in business and in life. And if there's anything that's not working in someone's business, 
I, I can always trace it back to accountability and the culture that either encourages that accountability or doesn't encourage it. And so for the last 30 years now, I've been working with leaders of organizations around the world, helping them build these outstanding cultures that inspire accountability. And I'm having a blast. Well, I wanted to jump right in there to begin with because you talk a lot of the things I've read and, and I've seen and I hear. You said it all starts with creating the corporate culture. And so talk about the importance of a corporate culture when it comes to employee retention and ultimately, I guess, attracting new employees and even creating leaders. Well, that's a powerful question. And i give you a little situation. I was up in South Dakota. I was speaking to a group of um, CEOs, and I told them what I tell a lot of CEOs. I said, if you don't have a set of values, a a, a, a set of values that meets a certain standard that we've we've reverse engineered and we know what makes a great set of values, and you aren't living those values 100%, which means you do not allow anyone to stay in your organization that's not living the values, you'll never have the organization you want. You'll never have the culture you'll want. You might make money, but you'll be leaving a lot on the table. And one of the CEOs looked at me and said, Sam, I can't afford to let someone go who's not living the values. I can't find enough good people. Now, fast forward, uh, six weeks later, I'm talking to the president of a company in, in, um, in Lubbock, Texas. They're in four markets. They build homes. And prior to the pandemic, prior to all this housing craziness, they had a one-year waiting list for, for homes. Can you imagine? One-year waiting list to buy a house. It's an unbelievable situation. And I asked him, now, these are markets where unemployment is zero. And when he runs an ad for, for, for an employee, he gets between 40 and 100 responses in a market where unemployment is zero. I asked him, I said, Cal, what would you tell this guy up there? And he says he can't find enough good people. And his response was, maybe you haven't built a company good enough to attract those people. So that's what it comes down to. The workplace culture is, is going to determine what does and does not happen within your organization. It's going to determine who you attract. It's going to determine who stays. And while sometimes you go, wow, I can't afford to let someone go. I have too many job openings as it is. If you don't let go the people that are tearing down your culture, then you're going to be letting go the good employees that won't put up with it because you know what they can go get a job someplace else. You've you've said employee retention starts yesterday. Can you explain that? Well, employee retention is based on relationship, and when you build the right workplace culture, you build relationships with people, and those people want to stay. When you build relationships, then what happens is people want to be accountable. They choose to be accountable. That's how it works. You can't mandate it. You can't go, I'm going to hold you accountable. Well, you can do that. You can say that, but it's not going to work. All it's going to do is tick off good people. And so you start yesterday. Well, when's the best time to dig a well? 20 years ago. When's the next best time? Well, right now. And so you build organizations and make them strong when times are good. So that when times are tough, that you're positioned for that. Uh, all of our clients, when the when the pandemic hit, the ones that struggled during that time period were the ones that didn't have that strong workplace culture, the well-defined, positive culture that valued people, where people felt valued. 
when you start building that now and you put that in place, you're building for tomorrow. You're building an organization that's always going to attract the best people and retain the best people. This is not magic. There's, there's a reason why great people end up at some companies, and there's a reason why some organizations, the doors are turnstile. And I always say, leader gets the culture they deserve. And this is an opportunity to put a stake in the ground, decide on the type of culture you want to have, and then go get it because it's attainable. You've said before that personal beliefs have to align with organizational beliefs. Why is that important? Well, here's the thing. If you're the CEO, if if you have the final say, then your response, your number one responsibility is is to protect and defend the culture. And to do that, you have to define the culture, and the culture is defined on a set of values. And the values of the organization, a lot of times, are going to reflect the values of the CEO. Now, when we help an organization through that process, we like to bring in a cross-section of people because we want to hear as many voices as possible. But they're always going to align with the values of the CEO. If you're an employee, you want to work for an organization whose organizational values align with your personal values. Because when they're in alignment, you're comfortable, you're happy, you're content, and you're more likely to stay. So when you build an organization that has a well-defined set of values and people know, they understand what those values are, you're going to attract people that want to be in a, in a climate, an environment where those values are left. And people that don't want to be in that climate aren't going to come work for you, which is fine. And so what happens when you let someone go who's not living the values because you know what they are, they're aligned, and you understand them. When you let that person go, you're protecting that environment for everyone else. And when you protect that environment for everyone else, they appreciate that. They want to work harder, and they want to protect that environment. Not only that, they want to call their friends and say, this is an amazing place to work. But they don't just call any of their friends. They only call the friends that are working hard because they're working hard. And so now you have your best people reaching out to the best people that they know, and it becomes cyclical. So you're either spiraling up or you're spiraling down. And as a leader, you get that choice. I have friends who've been with companies for long periods of time, and I, I would have conversations with them, and I'd ask them, I said, look, you've had opportunity throughout the years to go somewhere else and sometimes make quite a bit more money than you make now. And I always thought money was the deciding factor with, with everyone's decision when it came to work. And I've learned throughout the years that is a factor, but not necessarily always the deciding factor and sometimes not the most important factor. Do, do you find that to be true? Absolutely. Now, what's interesting is, is when you deal with younger people that are fresh out of school, if it's their first job, they might leave for more money and simply because they just don't know better. They don't know how bad it can be out there. Um, but especially with someone that's been in the marketplace and they've experienced, when they go to work for an organization that has an amazing culture, if they've experienced a bad culture, they notice a difference. They know, let me tell you, they notice a difference the first day, the second day, the third day they're there. We hear all, all the time people say, wow, it's different. I recognize the first week I was here that it was different here. And those people are going to want to stay in that environment. If you if if you're the type of leader that says, well, I pay you to do the job, I expect you to do the job, well, then someone else pays them more, they're going to go someplace else. But if you're the kind of leader that values your people, you support your people, you 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 stand by them thick and thin, then what happens is they're going to stand by you thick and thin. 
And that's what's called loyalty, and that's longevity, and that goes towards retention. Um, a lot of leaders think they have it figured out. A lot of leaders think they're doing the right thing, but they just don't realize that accountability is not about it's not about manipulating your people to do more for you. Accountability is about a leader being accountable to create an environment that inspires people to want to be their best and choose to be accountable. And a leader creates that by being accountable to the people first. You talked about, and I've heard you say this, and I've read this before uh, in your writings, responsibility versus accountability and how accountability mm. actually gives you a competitive advantage. Can you speak about mm -hmm. that? Sure. So here, we, the way we like to delineate is you're responsible for things, you're accountable to people. You're responsible for things, you're accountable to people. So your job description is a list of responsibilities, but accountability, Chris, lies between you and me. Now, what we notice is organizations that figure out relationship also figure out accountability because you're not going to be accountable to someone you don't like. So you need to build relationships. So those accountability is keeping your commitments to people. A commitment is no matter what. But it's not the tactical or the transactional commitments. I'll be there at 3. I'll have the sales report by tomorrow. I'll get you the information by Friday. Those are all tactical. We're supposed to do that stuff. If someone in your organization isn't doing that stuff, why are you letting them stay? Because i got to tell you, if you let them stay, then a good worker like me is going to be demoralized, and then you're not going to get the best out of me. So it's the relational commitments of a commitment to live the values, a commitment to stand by you when all hell breaks loose, a commitment to it's all of us, which means if you fail, I fail, and only when you succeed do I succeed. It's those unspoken commitments that a leader takes on that builds that relationship and builds accountability. So why is accountability a competitive advantage? It's simply this. Products and services are abundant. I, pick a product. I need new tires. Well, I can go all over the place and buy new tires. I can buy Continental. I can buy Firestone. I can buy Michelin. I can buy them at Costco. I can buy them at Sam's. I can buy them at Joe's Auto Tire. Why, why would I go one place over another? What's the difference? The difference is going to be the workplace culture, the satisfaction that the employees of that organization have in that culture, and then the relationship that they build with their clients and customers because of the relationship they have inside. Because you see, you'll never treat a customer better than you're treated inside the organization. So accountability is the one thing. Your workplace culture and an accountable culture is the one thing that can separate you from your competition. I love that. I, you know, I do training for the IBBA and I, I teach, I train business brokers and, and, and I talk to them specifically about, I said, look, if, if all you're going to compete on is your commission, how much you charge, I said, if you don't differentiate yourself and your competition, I said, then it just comes down to who's going to charge the least. Because if everyone, if everybody is the same, then it has to do with price. So with employees, if every place is the same and every, every, and you don't offer that great culture that you're talking about and what starts with great leadership, you know, then you're only, then you're probably going to lose people because they're just going to go, if everything is the same, they're going to go whoever pays them the most amount of money. But you're talking about providing someone something special, something, something that you have that your competitors don't. And that will help you retain the really good employees. Is that correct? Absolutely. And not only does it help you retain the good employees, it helps you retain the good customers. 
this is why we say accountability yeah. always shows up on the bottom line. A lot of leaders think, well, that costs money. No, no. When you, when you invest in building a world-class culture, a culture that values people, a culture that's sustainable over time, then what happens is all those goals that you set for yourself, you're going to find those goals are, are, are relatively low compared to what you can really achieve because a high-performance culture is going to outachieve, outperform and outachieve any normal goals we could set for ourselves. Yeah, I've heard you say the relational side of your business drives the transactional side of your business. That's it. So here's how that works. That's, and I'm glad you brought that up. So remember, I said there's transactional commitments and relational commitments. Transactional commitments go to productivity. So if you're keeping your transactional commitments, you're going to be productive. That's good. We need that. Um, but you're not accountable. You're just productive. So, but the relational commitments that build relationship between people, what happens is that builds accountability. And when you build accountability, then that encourages people to choose to be productive. So when you build accountability, you build productivity as a byproduct, but that productivity comes in the form of an ultimate commitment. So for instance, one of the books I wrote, Non-Negotiable, is about a bank in Texas called Happy State Bank. It's this amazing culture. And and we measure, we have an assessment tool, we measure culture, and they're just off the charts. And the one thing I heard over and over and over again in the interviews is, I would rather die than let Pat down. Now, Pat was the CEO and president of the bank. Can you imagine if all your people say, oh, I'd rather die than let Pat down? You know they're, they're busting their chops. You know they're working hard. You know that they're being productive. And it shows up on the bottom line. And it, the value of their stock in over 31 years never went down, never went down. So why do people act like that? Why do they feel that way? It's simple. They knew that Pat would rather die than let them down. And that's what accountability is. And that's, you know, that's for the leader that gets it, that, that makes that their primary focus, their people, their primary focus, and let their people have the primary focus of the business. That becomes transformational. Look, we have a client um, in the Middle East we worked with for a year. Normally in January, they give out their bonuses, and it's right after bonus time that people quit. I mean, you know, they got their bonus. That's when they're going to quit. You're not going to quit the day before you get your bonus. That doesn't make sense. Well, this year, they, they've been working on this all year. This year, when they gave out the bonuses, no one quit. No one quit after the bonuses. Why? It wasn't the bonus. It was because they were just so happy being there that, like you said before, a, a little difference in money wasn't going to pry them away. They wanted to stay in that environment because they could shine in that environment. They enjoyed working with the people. They enjoyed working with the customers. And that's what we want to build. And it's, it's, it's very possible to build that in any size organization. And especially when you're dealing with M&A, you know, you, you've got two organizations coming together, and chances are the cultures are different. If you're not an expert or you don't have an expert on your team that can help you navigate that workplace culture, then what happens is when those two organizations come together, there's a less likelihood that it's going to be successful. But when you can bring them together with a strong, positive culture, then you're going to get a greater return on the investment of the acquisition. Yeah, and so those that are listening right now that are involved in M&A, and even in small business sales, there's always going to be you know, the, the new coming in and sometimes the old going out in a small business transaction. Uh, that a lot of the IBBA members are 
involved with, but there still has to be, what is that, you know, what does that transition look like? How do you incorporate the new ownership to embrace what the old ownership had? And well, how do you improve on it? How do you make it better? And you talk a lot about leadership and the importance of leadership and specifically in employee retention. So what are the best ways to create leaders that will not only help attract the top employees, but then retain them? Well, best way to train those leaders. I want to back up for a second on the first part, because when you have designed and created and have this powerful, sustainable culture that values people, that inspires them to be their best, that inspires creativity and, and inspires accountability, then what happens is that culture is going to drive a different type of acquisition process, onboarding process, than an, than another type of culture will. And so you want to have a more successful onboarding and acquisition process? Well, you need a better culture. It, it's going to connect. And so you, you hit the nail on the head there. How do you get leaders there? Well, I think it's a, it's a combination of, A, the CEO has to model this. We have a formula for building a, a high-performance culture. And the first step is you have to define the culture. And you define it through the values. The second step is model the culture. The CEO has to model it. The CEO that, that, that says what a lot of parents say, um, do as I say, not as I do. That CEO is not going to be successful with a, with a great culture. Just not. Now, I'm not saying they won't make money, but that's the problem in business today. A lot of people make money and they're rewarded for bad habits. So first of all, you need a CEO that models it. And, and the CEO that recognizes that they are held to a higher standard. That if I'm the CEO, I can't ask you to do something unless I'm most definitely doing it first and it's visible to everyone else. So the CEO sets the tone. The CEO should always be teaching the people that report to them and people at all levels how to be a better person, how to be a better leader. And then on top of that, then bring in the right type of outside expertise that aligns with the kind of culture you want to build. It's like, you know, if I'm ailing, I go find a doctor to help me fix it. Well, you want to get your culture better, find someone that knows something about culture and then knows how to build a culture that's based on valuing people and then work together to train everyone at all levels of the organization. And you'll develop those leaders and you'll develop a better organization. Is that the key to getting people to work to their highest potential? The key to getting people to work to their highest potential is to put them in an environment where they know that you're there to help them succeed, not look over their shoulder, where they know that if there's a challenge, they can come to you, where they know that they have a voice at the table, where they know there's no bias. It doesn't matter where they went to school, how they dress, the color of their skin, where they grew up. They're going to get treated the same, that, that they're in an environment that is safe. So what happens now is these people don't have to look over their shoulder. They don't have to cover worrying about keeping information to themselves so they can share it in a meeting, that, that they're free to discuss and communicate. All they have to do is look forward. And if all you have to do is look forward, you can move faster than if you're spending part of your time looking back. The leader creates that environment. The leader always gets the culture they deserve. If there's a problem in a culture, 
then it's the leader's fault. Now, I'm not trying to point fingers or blame anyone, but you can't give what you don't have. And so if the culture isn't what you want, then the question is, what sort of transformation do we need to go through as a leader so that we can then lead the organization through that transformation? And it's possible to make those changes and make those course corrections and be a better leader. Well, you said that earlier, and you talked earlier about um, bad employees. And, you know, I'm a cancer survivor of over 30 years. And the reason I'm able to sit here 30 plus years later and talk about it because they found a cancer and they got rid of it really early. Mm -hmm. um, and I mm -hmm. look sometimes at employee retention, almost a very similar <laughs> thing. You keep that cancer in that business around too long, you're going to do some severe damage to your business and, and potentially kill it. Well, exactly. So let's look at that. I, I, so I, I'm, I'm talking to a group of CEOs in Dallas, Texas. There's a gentleman on the front row, just to the right of center, as I'm looking at this group of 50 CEOs. And I ask a question. What do you do if your number one salesperson is not living the values? One of your values is respect, and this person is not respecting other people on the team. What do you do? And the CEO right in front of me, he said, I move that salesperson to a corner office so he doesn't have to engage with as many people. And right away, I realized what the culture was like in that organization. You can act any way you want as long as you can produce. Well, that's their culture. The culture here is you can be an idiot, you can be a jerk, you can be disrespectful. It doesn't matter. You just produce. And if that's the culture you want, that's fine. But that's not the culture I want because what happens is that leader just told every other salesperson, you're no good. I can't afford to let Joe go because Joe's number one. Now, when when you let Joe go or Mary or Bill or whoever it is because they're not living the values and they are cancer in the culture, then then everyone else on the sales team goes, oh, my gosh, Chris just let Joe go. Can you believe it? He let the number one guy go because he's not living the values. Number one, those values must be important. Number two. He must believe in us. He must believe that we can pick up the slack. So that's what we're going to do. How can we work together to make up for Joe's production? And now you've just encouraged everyone else on the team to work harder. Now, I'll tell you this, and everyone that's listening to this podcast, I guarantee you, if you've ever fired someone, at some point in time, shortly after you let that person go, it might have been that afternoon, it might have been the next day, maybe the day after, but certainly no later. Someone came up to you and they said, what took you so long? Because they knew that person wasn't a good fit and they didn't want that person there. And when you let people go that aren't a good fit in the culture, you're telling everyone else, I'm going to protect this culture for us. I'm going to protect this culture. Everyone wants to work harder. The good people appreciate it. They're telling stories on the street about how amazing the culture is here. And that's how you retain the best and attract the best. Sam, on the flip side, what happens if you're running a company and it's, and you have one of the good guys, one of the good people in your company that people look up to and respect. And for some reason, somehow something happens and you let them walk or they leave or they go somewhere else. But what does that do to the, to the employee morale and the base or even the, the, the view of how people look at your company? 
Well, that's a broad question. You know, you let them go or they walk. It's like, why? Why'd you let them go? I mean, if it's because if it's because they weren't living the values, then basically what you're telling everyone is, hey, the values, these are our values. This isn't just something that's on the website or on the wall. This is real. I live these values. I expect you to live these values. And if you don't, then this isn't a good fit. We're going to allow you to go elsewhere. I think that's positive. Well, I, I don't think, think that's I, negative. I'm talking more, Sam, of the other side where maybe your values of a company aren't where they are, where they need to be, and someone really good winds up walking because your culture isn't where it needs to be. And it's almost a an eye-opening effect to say, wait a second, yes, I, I have a problem here. Or I'm going to lose some other people. Well, it's interesting. You would think that's how it goes, but more times than not, what we see is that leader that has allowed that culture to to exist thinks it's the person that's leaving. Ah, uh, Joe, he always, you know, he never was a good fit, or he didn't get us, or he, you know, they're always pointing fingers and making excuses. And so when good people leave, a couple of things happen. One, competition. You know, they they smell the fear, okay? When good people are leaving, they're going to suck up those good people. And the good people that are left in the organization are looking at each other, and you're looking at me and going, Sam, can you show left? I mean, what's with that? Maybe we need to think about that. You know, what's going on that we don't know about? And so you're absolutely right. When you start losing people because of that, because your culture isn't where it needs to be, it's going to spiral down. And so, yes, I'm I'm hopeful that that the leader would be aware and would say, you know what, we've lost two or three good people. Let's find out what's going on. Now, that connects to something that, that I had a leader say once, well, the problem isn't at senior leadership level. The problem is always at mid-level leadership. And I pushed back and I said, no. I said, if there's a problem at mid-level leadership, then senior leadership didn't train mid-level leadership. They didn't set the right example. They didn't they didn't bring in the right resources. They didn't make sure that mid-level leadership understood the culture and was living the culture. They allowed senior leadership allowed people to stay that shouldn't have been allowed to stay. Everything rises and falls on leadership. It's always going to come back to the senior leader. Sam, if someone's listening to this show right now and they've been in business a while or even they're just starting business, but let's say they've been in business a little while and they go, oh, man, all this sounds great, um, but – one, how can they gauge where their culture is and if it's if it's where it needs to be? And then if they if they just if they realize they have a poor culture, where do they start? If they have no foundation, where where do they start? What 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 do they need to do besides hire you, by the way? <laughs> well, and I appreciate that, yes. I mean, we're always looking for, for new clients, but and, and we have a we have a field full of certified accountability advisors that, that do work with clients, but what you pointed out, it's like you don't want to get prescribed medicine without being diagnosed first. The medicine could kill you. And so we have a tool called the culture audit, and it actually produces what we call the accountability index. It measures the culture, measures accountability in the culture. And this this assessment, which is a very easy assessment, and we have it in 20 languages, we've been using it for 14 years, it tells us exactly what's going on in an organization. And then once you have that data, well, then as a leader, you're able to make decisions. You see where the challenges are, and then 
you know, we prescribe at that point ways to address that, ways to deal with that, whether you, whether you would use us or whether you would use someone else to do it. But you need to have that, you need to have that x-ray vision into the culture to be able to evaluate it. Here's what we discovered. When you do a culture audit, you get the information that not only tells you how that culture is with regards to accountability, but when you fix the things that aren't working, you're going to have better leaders. You're going to have better communication. You're going to have better teamwork. There's going to be more creativity. You're going to have a safer workplace, both physically and emotionally. There's going to be more innovation. Engagement goes up. Productivity goes up. And then ultimately profitability goes up. And it all comes back to doing an audit. And we recommend our clients do this audit annually. We want to know what's happened between last year and this year. Are we moved? Are we getting better? Are we stagnant? Are we slipping? And then what do we need to do this coming year? What, what programs do we need to put in place to make sure that we continue to excel, continue to do good or improve if improvements what's needed? I have people say to me, Sam, they're like, Chris, Forget great employees. I just need warm bodies. You know, employment is at an all-time low. People are hard to come by. I, I just need I just need people. And my response typically is even more so how you why it's more important to retain the good ones that you have and 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 the culture. And again, this is all coming from listening to you and reading what you have what you've what you've said. But I mean, that much more plays to the place to the culture of the of the of your company and your business and why it's so important because when you when you're when your bar the level of satisfaction is i just need a warm body well then that means you really can't afford to lose the the really good ones that you have well it does and you're potentially setting yourself up for failure because i don't believe you just need a warm body i just don't believe that i don't either and i'm going to go back yeah, I'm going to go back to the example. Maybe you haven't built a company good enough to attract those people. Let's build a better, let's build a better culture so we can attract those people. Um, let's build a better culture so we keep all the people that we need to be keeping. Let's build a better culture so the people that are there will talk to their friends, family, and loved ones and say, you should be working here. Let's build a better culture so that we're now known in the community for the culture that we have. You know, there's companies out there, you know exactly how you're going to get treated when you go inside because the culture is established and people know that, and that's why they go back there. Well, you can build that sort of business. Everyone can build that sort of business. But if you're just looking for warm bodies, no. You, you have to have people, you hire to the values and you fire from them. If people aren't living the values, you let them go. If you have a great set of values and a great set is going to have four elements in it, but if you have a great set of values and you're hiring those values and you don't let people say that aren't living the values, people connect to the values. They don't connect to the products and services. People work harder with people they're connected to. You create an environment where productivity goes up. You create an environment where you retain the best people and you create an environment where it will be easier to attract new good people, not just warm bodies. Is it hard to create commitment. that culture? It's commitment. Is it hard? Well, it's like this. The principles are really simple. And, you know, I, I find that the best things in life work this way. The principles are simple, but it takes diligence. And so is it hard? 
I don't think so. It takes commitment. Look, we've worked with a lot of clients, and some of the clients are amazing successes, and some of the clients aren't. And I and I look at it, and it's really simple. The leader that buys in, that believes that this is important, those are always successes. And the leader that's just checking a box off and delegates everything to someone else, no, and they come up short because the leader's not buying in. So I don't think it's it's hard. It takes commitment. It takes commitment to believing that your people are important. If you're the kind of leader that says, uh, I got 35 problems and each one has a first name, yeah, it's not going to happen for you because you see your people as a problem. You don't see them as the solution. How you see your people matters because they know that. Um, if you're a leader that says, you know, this this isn't personal. This is business. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen for that one either because, you know, every interaction between two human beings is personal. This conversation, Chris, between you and me right now, we're talking business, but it's personal. You could say something that could offend me or I could say something that would offend you. Um, how we communicate with each other matters. How we Im impact each other's lives matter. It's not just I'm paying someone, they should be doing their job. That's not how it works. Amen. I mean, that, you know, <laughs> no. And, and, you know, there are a lot of leaders, but there aren't as many good leaders as there should be. And I guess that's what separates the really great places to go to work for and be part of and, and that retain their employees and the ones that, that can't do that. And, and, but what about the people that are listening right now, Sam, that, that are afraid? They're like, I'm afraid to make a change because things are, are going pretty good. But, but I, but I hear what he's saying and I, and I, I don't, I, I, I think there are ways I could really make some changes around here, but they're just afraid to do so. Do you find people are afraid to, to change? Well, some people are afraid to change. I think the ones that, the ones that get it, here, here's what it comes down to. First of all, the fact that businesses can make money is, is sometimes a detriment because they go, well, we're making money. We're making profits. Well, yeah, you are, but you could be making a lot more than you realize. Um, to me, it's, it's how can we be better? The best companies that we find are the ones where the leaders always asking the question, how can we be better? It's that simple. I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're number one in your industry. If you're not asking, how can we be better, then you're not going to get better. And so you're just surviving. You're hanging on. But when you consistently ask, how can we be better, then what we're talking about today, first of all, you're probably already on the right track. Second of all, then it's about fine-tuning. Look, we had a client once, the president of an organization came to me after a program one time. He said, Sam, we don't have any values. Can you help us with that? And it sounded kind of sad. Well, it turns out they, they ran the organization by a set of values. They just weren't codified. They had not identified them. They didn't write them down. They didn't explain them. They weren't able to use them in the interview process. They weren't able to, to determine if someone wasn't living them. They just didn't understand that. And so we the, here was a company that was doing fine. But then they they decided to commit to 
making these values visible, understandable. They lived them. Every decision they made, they talked about how the values were driving that decision. It became a part of who they were. It redefined their culture. They ended up firing some people that weren't living the values. Some people quit that weren't living the values. When they hired new people, they I, I interviewed some of the new people that after they hired them, I said, why did you come here? And they said, well, because of the values. Well, that my ears opened up to that. And then nine months later, the leader of this organization in a room full of peers said, because of the work that we've done the last nine months with with me and my team, um, our 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 activity level has tripled. And they measure things through what they called activity. Tripled, tripled. So here's an organization that was doing well, but because they were willing to change, because he felt like they could be better, they actually tripled their activity. I, uh, you know, you, you can't make this stuff up. It's just, it's just no. It's, it's humbling. But the people that are committed, they make it happen. They make it happen. Yeah, that, that's amazing. You know, that reminds me. Uh, I, I met someone a while back, and they had a very small company. They purchased it, and there was only two employees, and it was a service business, and they were technicians. And one of the technicians was a great technician, but a bad person. And the other technician was not so great, but learning. And one day after the owner, after taking enough abuse from the great technician, great technician was three hours late for work, gets there and walks by the owner. And the owner says, I need to talk to you. He says, I don't have any time to talk to you. I'm busy. And the owner looks at him and goes, okay, well, you're fired. Now you have plenty of time to talk to me. The guy looks at him and goes, I can't believe you just fired me. How could you do that? He goes, because this is my company and this is not the culture that I want around here. Well, now it, now it went from the two employee business that they have now in one city to four cities, over 20 technicians and built off that foundation of, of exactly what you're talking about, the culture. So uh, the fear was there to how can I get rid of my best uh, technician? But if he had not, he'd probably be out of business today. It's a testimony to everything you talk about. Exactly. That's how it works. And everyone saw that. Everyone saw that. And the story is still being told within the organization. And so everyone in the organization today, in, 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 in a significantly larger organization that you outlined, probably knows that story. And so they know the importance of the culture. They know the importance of the values. They know the importance of, of what, it, they know what's important to the leader. And, and, and that, you know, it just goes back to, do you just want to get by? Do you just want to do what you've always done? Or do you want to get better? Because there is a path to getting better. I don't care how good you are. There's a path to getting better. Look, if we got to, if you and I got, hopefully the time we're sharing right now is of value to your listeners. But doggone it, if we came back and revisited this in six months, I would hope that what I shared would be even better than whatever I shared today is. And because that's what drives me. And that's, those are the people I like to be around. People that just want to get better and they take their ego out of it and they don't think they have all the answers. You know, you, you mentioned something before and um, about leaders and bad leaders and good leaders. I think a lot of leaders were just impacted by the wrong people. They were influenced by the wrong people. You know, they heard someone say, Oh, this isn't personal. It's in, it's business. And since since I heard someone say it, then you know when I'm in that position, then I say it. But 
I just was never taught any different. No one ever modeled a different way of thinking. No one modeled a different way of valuing people, of seeing people, of committing to people. It's like, if I hire someone, I don't hire them for today. I'm thinking, okay, I I need this job filled, but am I going to need them in six months, a year, in two years? And then there's the attorney that comes up to me at a restaurant one time who I had done, I'd spoke for their organization at an annual event and they had some challenges and we talked about working with them, but it just never happened. And it, it never happened for a reason because they had all the answers. And about six months later, he sees me at a restaurant, happened to be in that town in the building that they're headquartered in, in a restaurant in that building. He sees me, he comes up and he says, we got it all figured out. Instead of hiring attorneys on a partner track, now we're just hiring attorneys. And then when the business gets off, we just let them all go. And he looked like the cat that ate the canary. And you don't think that people understand that? You don't think that people know that that's what happens there? You don't think that people go, well, I don't want to work for that firm. You know, if there's an influx in business, we're good. And if business goes down, they don't care about us. Why would we want to work there? So do you think the best attorneys are going to be attracted to work for that organization? I don't. No, not at all. Um, You know, Sam, selfishly, I could speak to you for hours, but out of respect for your time, I'm going to leave you with one last question. And and I would appreciate, you know, I appreciate the time you've freely given today to come on and, and really uh, share your insights and, and, and all your expertise with everyone. But the person that's listening to this right now, the business owner or even the business broker who has a, has an office that they're looking to, you know, continue to build and grow and, and, uh, and, and bring on great talent and retain the ones, uh, those that they have. What advice do you give to those people? If you're in a leadership position, Accept that leadership is a responsibility, that you are responsible for the safety and the success of the people that you lead. And if you focus on your people and you create an environment where they feel that you value them as human beings, they will focus on the business. You'll create loyalty and your business will do things that you never imagined possible. Sam, I, I've, you know, again, selfishly, this, um, you said, you know, what are we going to, what do we get out of this? Or, you know, what, what was, was it lasting? Was it meaningful? You know, I'm the one talking with you, but it was just as much meaningful for me as it is the people that are listening. So those that would like to learn more about Sam Silverstein, you can go to samsilverstein.com or you can reach him at info at samsilverstein.com. And what we talked about in the last 40 minutes or so, there's so much more of a deep dive to go in in there. You know, Google Sam, read his books, watch his videos, reach out to him, uh, and you'll be the better for it. Sam, again, I want to thank you for taking of your time today and being on the IBBA Insights Podcast. Well, it's been my honor. It's been my pleasure. Love the conversation. Hope hope this is helpful for others. And uh, hey. I'm happy to come back and talk about it some more. It's an important subject.
You know, I'll definitely call on you, and I hope to get you out there to one of our IBBA conferences uh, as a keynote speaker. It'd be great to have you talk to our association. That's how important it is, again, that, that I know it is. Again, thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate it. Thank you. For everyone been listening today, I thank you for listening to this episode of the IBBA Insights. Be on the lookout for our next episode coming out in a couple of weeks. We're going to have great guests like Sam. Uh, addressing topics that are important to you. Again, visit Sam Silverstein at samsilverstein.com or reach out to him at info at samsilverstein.com. To listen to other episodes of IBBA Insights, you can go to ibba.org slash insights. Once you're there, you can subscribe by clicking the Apple, Android, or email icons. Thanks again. I look forward to being with you again on the next episode of IBBA Insights. I'm your host, Chris Diglio. Make it a great day.